You're tuned into the Chug LLP's podcast. We are a full-service legal, immigration, and tax firm with a global outlook. We partner with businesses to deliver innovative, customized solutions to their most pressing challenges. Join us as we tackle some pertinent issues. My name is Neha Mahajan, Business Development and Outreach Manager at Chug LLP Attorneys and CPAs. This time with our attorneys from our LA office. And today we'll be discussing about humanitarian reinstatement. What can you do if you're waiting for your immigrant visas and the main immigrant visa sponsor passes away, that person dies? What happens to the petitions of those family members whose main primary applicant has uh, passed away? Do they have any kind of hope from USCIS? Is there anything in the law that can help them and support them? U.S. immigration system has been under a lot of flack for a lot of reasons, even prior to the pandemic. And the pandemic has only made matters worse, whether it is getting an appointment for consular processing or um, H-48s waiting for the renewal of their visas, work authorizations, or if it is a family member waiting in line for their immigrant visas to become current and for the processes to happen in time. Well, timely processing of visas is now thing of past, doesn't happen anymore. What it does do is cause a lot of uncertainty. And if COVID has taught us one thing, it is uncertainty. Sadly, for a lot of people, uncertainty can be life-changing. This is exactly why we will be discussing all the legal options available for humanitarian reinstatement. Joining me from our LA office is our partner and attorney, Gladys Gervaccio, she's been with the firm for a very, very long time, very knowledgeable. And joining us for the first time on the show today is uh, paralegal Tony Ordona from the LA office, from Gladys' team. Hi there, Tony and Gladys, welcome. Hi, Neha. I'm glad to be back. I was here two weeks ago, but I'm, I'm happy to be joining you today on this live session, of course, with Tony. Thank you for having me, Neha. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, ladies, for making yourselves available, you know. But before we get started with today's discussion, just want to, you know, mention the discussion that we're going to have is for informational purposes only. It does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you do have a question for us related to the topic today, please type it in the comment section and we'll be happy to answer them live on the show today. If not, if it's an unrelated question or if you're watching us as a recorded version, send us your questions, info at chug.com. That's I-N-F-O at C-H-U-G-H dot com. So Gladys and Tony, you know, when I was uh, researching about this topic, I really found it very interesting. You know, COVID has definitely taught us that life is all about uncertainties at the moment, right? And I'm sure this question is on many people's uh, minds simply because, you know, immigrant visas, there's just humongous, humongous wait period for them, right? Whether it's employment-based or family-based. And uh, humanitarian reinstatement does come in handy, but there are a lot of conditions, you know, that apply with it that people are not familiar with. I want to understand what is humanitarian reinstatement? So Neha, before I dive into what humanitarian reinstatement is, I just want to do a quick background. But if you're, and most people probably know this already, that if you're a U.S. citizen or you're a legal permanent resident, 
slash green card holder and you want to bring in family members to the U.S., what you file is the I-130, which is the immigrant petition for foreign worker. Now, if the petitioner dies, this I-130 petition dies as well, simply because you don't have a petitioner anymore. And this is where humanitarian reinstatement comes into play. Because this is a relief that it's a discretionary relief that allows the principal beneficiary of an approved I-130 petition to revive or reinstate this I-130 so that he may still continue to immigrate to the U.S. Would you say there's a great need for humanitarian reinstatement at the moment, right now? You know, I think now more than ever, it's very important that people know that there is this relief available. We hear a lot of people lost loved ones, family due to COVID. And even now that operations are getting back to normal or the new normal with USCIS or with U.S. consulate offices, there's still a huge backlog of um, processing cases, right? So some families have waited 20 plus years to immigrate to the U.S. and then all of a sudden, they lose their loved one, their petitioner, who's been waiting for them in the U.S. And, you know, they don't just, there's heartbreak, right? They don't just lose their family. They also lose their American dream. Yeah, thank you, Tony, for bringing that into perspective. Because, you know, for USCIS, for U.S. immigration system, immigrants are really just a number. When they talk about immigration, they talk about numbers. These many people want to immigrate to the United States of America, right? What they don't realize is that behind these numbers, there are actual people, actual lives, actual families that, you know, want to be part of the American dream, right? And want to take advantage of the processes that are already in place. What are some of the basic requirements for applying for humanitarian reinstatement? Tony, if you could go in a little bit of detail, that'd be great. Yeah, so... Like Gladys mentioned, yeah, I-130, Petition for Alien Relative, must have been approved by USCIS before the petitioner's death. So it must have been approved already before the petitioner passed away. And then they have to submit a new affidavit of support from a substitute sponsor. So who's the substitute sponsor? They must be a U.S. citizen, U.S. national, or green card holder or lawful permanent residents, must be at least 18 years old, and they must be applicants' uh, qualifying relative. Okay. When you say qualifying relative, who would qualify to be a relative? In USCIS's eyes, at least. So it's actually a long long list. So it could be the substitute sponsor can be the principal applicants, principal slash beneficiaries, Spouse, parent, child could be the grandparent, grandchild, could be the mother-in-law, father-in-law, could be the principal applicant's daughter-in-law or son-in-law. It can also be a sibling, a brother-in-law or a sister-in-law. And lastly, can be the legal guardian. All right. And, you know, these qualifying relatives, if the qualifying relative's income does not meet, say, you know, certain criteria that has already been set by USCIS, how does that come into play? Tony or Gladys, whoever wants to take this question. 
Yeah, it's a good question because a lot of the times they may have a qualifying relative as a substitute sponsor, but it may be an elderly relative who is no longer working or retired or never worked, right? If the qualifying relative's income does not meet the poverty guideline as required, they can get a joint sponsor. So the joint sponsor will also have to submit an affidavit of support. The joint sponsor must be a U.S. citizen as well, U.S. national or green card holder. Also, it must be 18 years old and their income for their household size must meet the poverty guideline. So when you say joint sponsor, could this be a friend or it has to yes. be another qualifying relative or who? So it can be a friend, it can be a family, a relative that is not listed under the qualifying relative as a substitute sponsor. So now you must meet the required qualifying relative relationship, but you can also get a joint sponsor that doesn't have to fall into that relationship that's provided by USCIS. All right. You know, this topic is quite dense. Also, a disclaimer, the discussion is not for legal purposes. This is for informational purposes. And all the discussion that we are having today cannot constitute as an attorney-client relationship. Gladys, in the beginning, you mentioned that it's uh, USCIS uses the word discretionary. It's at USCIS discretion who they qualify for under humanitarian reinstatement, really. You know, so even... so. Although there are various guidelines available, I, I really want you to go into a little bit of more detail and tell us wh what does USCIM mean when they say discretionary? So it's a discretionary relief because USCIS may or may not grant the request. The principal beneficiary cannot demand it as a matter of right. You have to prove your case at your request warrants a favorable exercise of USCIS's discretion, which means that the pros in granting the request will outweigh the cons. And in making that determination, USCIS considers a number of factors, whether they want to, to exercise that discretion and grant you that, the request for humanitarian reinstatement. So one of these factors is the impact that the revocation of the I-130 petition would have on the family unit which in particular would be the petitioner's family or relatives who are already lawfully living in the U.S., you know, are they going to experience some hardship? You don't have to prove extreme hardship. Threshold is not that high, but showing some hardship to the family in the U.S. would be uh, good for your case. Another factor that USCIS would consider is the length of time that the principal um, beneficiary has been living in the U.S. and already in the U.S. Also, whether he or she still has strong ties to his home country. So if the, that person no longer has a residence here there or don't have family members there, USCIS will also consider that. USCIS will also consider the principal beneficiary's age and health. Mm -hmm. So if you're elderly or you have a health condition, you're in poor health, that you require constant medical attention, they will also consider that. And lastly, they will consider the length of time that the government has taken in processing these, these delays. And so you will notice that most of the applicants for this humanitarian reinstatement are those from countries who have experienced several years of waiting for a visa to become available. And those are nationals, of course, from the 
of, of certain countries like the Philippines, yeah. India, China. So very. Thank you for mentioning that. I mean, it makes it way clear that a humanitarian reinstatement is actually a privilege. It's not a right. So you can't demand that out of USCIS. USCIS will continue with its due process to make sure whether an applicant qualifies for it or not. All right. Gladys, just to further this, uh, this is a great relief for beneficiaries when the petitioner passes away. You know, they're already in a situation. Now, what happens if the, it's the beneficiary that dies and leaves the dependent family members behind? You know, what happens then? Okay, so all is not lost for them as well. Back in 2009, the Relief for Surviving Relatives Act, other people call it the Survivors Act, was mm-hmm. enacted. You can find this in Section 204L of the Immigration Nationality Act. And what this says is if the principal beneficiary dies and if derivative applicants meet certain conditions, they can still continue with their immigrating to the U.S. Okay, so I'm always very watchful when USCIS mentions certain conditions. (laughs) You know, it's like that small conditions apply that you have on... uh, Read the fine print. Yes, right. It's the fine print. So, Tony, I want you to get into the details a little bit. And what are the requirements for INA 204L relief for surviving relatives? Yeah, that's a very good question. Like you said, you got to read the fine print. Not everybody qualifies. But for those who do qualify, it's awesome because they can still pursue their immigrant visa or their adjustment of status, even if the principal beneficiary or the main applicant passes away. The requirement is that at least one of the beneficiaries or derivative beneficiaries must have been residing in the U.S. when the qualifying relative passes away and they must continue to reside in the U.S. Now, when they say residing in the U.S., it does not require physical presence at the time of death. They just have to show that they have residence, established residence in the U.S. So, for example, if they were not physically present in the U.S. because they were traveling for work or they were on vacation and they were outside the country, it does not interrupt U.S. residence. Got it. Okay. That's good to know. And who qualifies for Immigration Nationality Act 204L, Relief for Surviving Relatives? There's a few of them. So there's the beneficiary of a pending or approved I-130 petition. So unlike humanitarian reinstatement, it requires an approved I-130 prior to the petitioner's death. Here it can be if the I-130 is still pending, They can qualify for this relief as long as they meet the requirements, even if the I-130 is still not approved. There's also available for derivative of a pending or approved employment-based immigrant visa petition. So uh, derivatives of uh, I-140 petitions, they could qualify for that. Beneficiary of a pending or approved I-730 refugee petition, T or U visa, non-immigrant visa holder, or derivative asylees. All right. Thank you, Tony. I actually came across a case uh, a couple of years ago um, when the second wave of the pandemic had hit a lot of countries. I know from a lot of actually first-hand stories where 
someone who was on an employment visa and you know for those born in india uh, the dates to get current is it takes forever you know there's an estimate that says uh, 96 years at the moment right but definitely 10 to 15 years right there there was a case where someone had filed for i130 the status was not yet adjusted and the primary applicant for i140 and 485 application they just passed away out of the blue right so what happens to the spouse and the children who are not us citizens and who are who are in line with the, with that primary applicant right, right. so I'm, i'm very glad that the law has this um, this 204l section yeah, yeah. in the nationality act that kind of helps these people this is this is really good information Yeah because you know especially for employment based they lose their breadwinner of the family they use the the main foundation of their household so it's great that if they can at least still pursue their immigrant status after if they meet all these requirements that would be great for the family yeah yeah i mean we hope no one has to go through it but you know life is such we have to account for all the uncertainties and that's exactly why we're discussing humanitarian green statement today with our attorney and partner Gladys Gervacio and our paralegal Tony Ardona from our LA office so we spoke about uh, who qualifies for relief as uh, surviving relatives but who are considered qualifying relatives Gladys if you would like to answer that sure very good so the qualifying relatives is the deceased I know we were talking about that and and deceased persons a lot here on this topic, right? But the qualifying relative is the deceased relative who is one the petitioner of a immediate relative I one thirty petition who could that could be the parent, spouse, or child, and also be the qualifying relative and also be the petitioner or beneficiary of a family sponsored I one thirty. Could also be the principal beneficiary of a widower um, subpetition, or the principal beneficiary of an I one forty employment based you know, uh, petition. You have T or you non immigrant, the principal T non immigrant, sorry, and you have the VAWA self petitioner, and have the petitioner of the I seven three zero refugee slash asylum relative petition. and lastly the principal asylum that's granted asylum all right all right so thank you for explaining that uh, gladys tony we've understood the nitigrities that are involved and who qualifies and who doesn't but when it comes down to doing the real paperwork how do you really request for section 204 l relief or the humanitarian reinstatement how do you actually go about it There is no specific form for the humanitarian reinstatement or for the survivor's relief because there's no form. There's also no filing fee. It is a discretionary benefit, right? So you submit the request to USCIS that approved the petition or if it's pending, let's say you're filing 485 with the application or based on the approved, let's say I-140, you submit the request with your 485 application. Then you go also have to submit the um, 
supporting evidence that you meet the requirements that they've been physical. At least one of the beneficiary has been living, residing in the U.S. at the time of the petitioner's death. You got to show the death certificate of the qualifying relative and then show maintenance of uh, residence in the U.S. until the time of filing. So when I say it, does it can be any one relative, right? I had a case once where the derivative child was in the U.S. on an F1 student visa, right? The main parent is not in the U.S., but they meet the requirement because this the child was physically present in the U.S. at that time of death. So they were able to pursue their uh, I-485 based on that requirement. All right. That's that's really great to know, Tony. So there's no set pattern and probably that's why it's good to speak to an attorney to get the right kind of an advice so that the right kind of those guidelines can be met and an attorney can assess better how to proceed with the filing of a humanitarian reinstatement for that particular case, right? A little while ago, we were talking about this situation and Gladys, I, I want you to talk to me in detail about it. You know, an applicant who is on employment-based visa with their adjustment of status pending, the primary applicant suddenly dies. Now, in this case, what kind of options do dependents have? How do they go about filing for humanitarian reinstatement? So in this scenario, this actually falls under the, the Survivors Act. So okay. in this situation, the spouse, you, you said the principal applicant dies, right? So the spouse or his children under 21 years old can still continue with their hyper A5 application, it still get their green card, provided that one of them reside in the U.S. at the time of, of principal applicant's death and continues to do so. As mentioned by Tony, like all those requirements, they have to meet those requirements for them to continue with their hyper A5. So it's still possible, right? They can still get their yeah, I mean, I cannot even begin to imagine the kind of stress and the kind of situation a family must go through, especially under employment-based category, if they lose their primary breadwinner and the primary applicant, really. I'm glad that the law has provisions to help and guide people. And we have attorneys, we have the expertise. So if, if you are in a situation like this or uh, know of someone who's in a situation like this and do not know what to do and how to go about it, please send us an email. We'll be happy to help. Info at chook.com. We have the right kind of experts in-house who can help you, who can guide you, who can do the paperwork for you and who can fight for you. So info at chook.com, I-N-F-O at C-H-U-G-H. Dot com. This brings us to the end of today's discussion. Ladies, do you have any closing remarks? Well, Neha, I think the key takeaway that we want the, the listeners to have from this session is that there is hope. Even if petitioner dies or the principal of beneficiary dies, all is not lost. Um, you have options. I know it's a difficult time. You just lost, lost a loved one. You're still grieving. And that's where, you know, we, we come into play like, that's why you want to consult your, your trusted immigration attorneys and professionals to guide you through the process. All right. Thank you. Gladys, Tony, you want to say something? Yeah, I do uh, want to thank you, Neha, for this session. I think it's very important that we educate people who watch this because 
this is one of those benefits that not everybody is aware of that is available. Educating people is very important, I think, because it's discretionary. There's no processing time available, unfortunately. But like Gladys said, there is still hope. There's an available option. It can be resolved if they meet certain requirements and they can still get their immigrant status or their green card. And so I think it's important that we spread the word about these options that are available to them. Humanitarian dream statement. It is that ray of hope when you think that everything has ended and all the doors to immigrate to the United States have closed. Clearly not. There is hope. And we at Chug will be happy to help you and guide you through the process. So this brings us to the end of the discussion today. Thank you, Gladys and Tony. And if you have a suggestion of a topic for us, please send us an email. Until next, this is your friend Neha saying goodbye. Stay safe. Thanks for tuning in. For more information about our work, please visit our websites at www.chug.com for legal and immigration and www.chug.net for tax. Be sure to subscribe to get regular business insights from the Chug LLP team. 